0: Section 50 of The Martyrdom of Man by Winwood Reed This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4. Intellect. Part 14. Society is not maintained by the conjectures of theology, but by those moral sentiments, those gregarious virtues, which elevated men above the animals, which are now instinctive in our natures, and to which intellectual culture is propitious, for, as we become more and more enlightened, we perceive, more and more clearly, that it is with the whole human population as it was with the primeval clan. The welfare of every individual is dependent on the welfare of the community, and the welfare of the community depends on the welfare of every individual. Our conscience teaches us it is right, our reason teaches us it is useful that men should live according to the golden rule. This conduct of life is therefore enjoined upon every man by his own instincts, and also by the voice of popular opinion. Those cannot be happy who are detested and despised by their fellow men. And, as for those, the outlaws of society, who, like domestic animals, run wild, herd together in secret places, and faithful only to their own gang, make war upon mankind, the law, which is seldom evaded, the law, which never forgives, chases them from den to den, and makes their lives as full of misery as they are full of crime. The current religion is indirectly adverse to morals, because it is adverse to the freedom of the intellect, but it is also directly adverse to morals by inventing spurious and bastard virtues. One fact must be familiar to all those who have any experience of human nature. A sincerely religious man is often an exceedingly bad man. Piety and vice frequently live together in the same dwelling, occupying different chambers, but remaining always on the most amicable terms. Nor is there anything remarkable in this. Religion is merely loyalty. It is just as irrational to expect a man to be virtuous because he goes to church, as it would be to expect him to be virtuous, because he went to court. His king, it is true, forbids immorality and fraud. But the chief virtues required are of the Lickspittle denomination, what is called a humble and contrite heart. When a Christian sins as a man, he makes compensation as a courtier. When he has injured a fellow creature, he goes to church with more regularity, he offers up more prayers he reads a great number of chapters in the bible and so he believes he has cleared off the sins that are laid to his account this then is the immorality of religion as it now exists it creates artificial virtues and sets them off against actual vices children are taught to do this and that not because it is good but to please the king when christians are informed that not only are physical our moral actions are governed by unchangeable law and that the evil treatment of the mind like the evil treatment of the body is punished by a loss of happiness and health they cry out against a doctrine which is so just and so severe they are like the young Roman nobles who complained when the Tarquins were expelled saying that a king was a human being that he could be angry and forgive that there was room for favor and kindness but that the law was a deaf and inexorable thing leges rem surdam inexorabilem esse that it allowed of no relaxation and indulgence nihil laxamenti nec vine habere and that it was a dangerous thing for weak and erring men to live by their integrity alone periculosum esse in tot humanis erroribus sola innocentia vivere Christians believe themselves to be the aristocracy of heaven upon earth. They are admitted to the spiritual court, while millions of men in foreign lands have never been presented. They bow their knees and say they are miserable sinners, and their hearts rankle with abominable pride. Poor, infatuated fools! Their civility is real, and their insolence is real, but their king is a phantom, and their palace is a dream. Even with Christians of comparatively blameless lives, their religion is injurious. It causes a waste of moral force. There are passionate desires of virtue, yearnings for the good, which descend from time to time like a holy spirit upon all cultivated minds, and from which, strange as it may seem, not even free thinkers are excluded. When such an impulse animates the godless man, he expends it in the service of mankind. The Christian wastes it on the air, he fasts, he watches, and he prays. And what is the object of all his petitions and salams? He will tell you that he is trying to save his soul. But the strangest feature in the case is this. He not only thinks that it is prudent and wise on his part to improve his prospects of happiness in a future state, he considers it the noblest of all virtues. But there is no great merit in taking care of one's own interests, whether it be in this world or the next. The man who leads a truly religious life in order to go to heaven is not more to be admired than the man who leads a regular and industrious life in order to make a fortune in the city, and the man who endeavours to secure a celestial inheritance by going to church, and by reading chapters in the Bible, and by having family prayers and by saying grace in falsetto with eyes hypocritically closed, is not above the level of those who fawn and flatter at oriental courts in order to obtain a monopoly or an appointment. The old proverb holds good in religious as in ordinary life, that self-preservation is the first law of nature. As long as men believe that there is a God or King who will listen to their prayers and who will change His mind at their request, as long as they believe that they can obtain a mansion in the heavenly Belgravia, so long they will place the duties of the courtier above the duties of the man, so long they will believe that flattery is pleasing to the Most High, so long they will believe that they can offend against the law and escape the penalties of the law, so long they will believe that acts of devotion may be balanced against acts of immorality, so long they will make selfishness a virtue and the salvation of the soul a higher principle of conduct than social love but when the faith in a personal god is extinguished when prayer and praise are no longer to be heard when the belief is universal that with the body dies the soul then the false morals of theology will no longer lead the human mind astray piety and virtue will become identical the desire to do good which arose in necessity which was developed by the hopes of a heavenly reward, is now an instinct of the human race. Those hopes and illusions served as the scaffolding and may now safely be removed. There will always be enthusiasts for virtue, as there are now, men who adorn and purify their souls before the mirror of their conscience and who strive to attain an ideal excellence in their actions and their thoughts. If from such men as these... The hope of immortality is taken, will their natures be transformed? Will they, who are almost angels, turn straightway into beasts? Will the sober become drunkards? Will the chaste become sensual? Will the honest become fraudulent? Will the industrious become idle? Will the righteous love that which they have learned to loathe? Will they, who have won by hard struggles, the sober happiness of virtue, return to the miseries of vice, by which few men have not, at one time or another, been enthralled? No, they will pass through some hours of affliction, they will bear another allusion to the grave, not the first that they have buried, nor the first they have bewailed. And then, no longer able to hope for themselves, they will hope for the future of the human race, unable to believe in an eared God, who listens to human supplications, they will coin the gold of their hearts into useful actions instead of burning it as incense before an imaginary throne. We do not wish to extirpate religion from the life of man. We wish him to have a religion which will harmonize with his intellect, and which inquiry will strengthen, not destroy. We wish, in fact, to give him a religion, for now there are many who have none. We teach That there is a God, but not a God of the anthropoid variety, not a God who is gratified by compliments in prose and verse, and whose attributes can be catalogued by theologians. God is so great that He cannot be defined by us. God is so great that He does not deign to have personal relations with us human atoms that are called men. Those who desire to worship their Creator must worship Him through mankind. Such, it is plain, is the scheme of nature. We are placed under secondary laws, and these we must obey. To develop to the utmost our genius and our love, that is the only true religion. To do that which deserves to be written, to write that which deserves to be read, to tend the sick, to comfort the sorrowful, to animate the weary, to keep the temple of the body pure, to cherish the divinity within us, to be faithful to the intellect, to educate those powers which have been entrusted to our charge, and to employ them in the service of humanity, that is all that we can do. Then our elements shall be dispersed, and all is at an end. All is at an end for the unit, all is at an end for the atom, all is at an end for the speck of flesh and blood, with the little spark of instinct which it calls its mind. But all is not at an end for the actual man, the true being, the glorious one. We teach that the soul is immortal, we teach that there is a future life, we teach that there is a heaven in the ages far away. But not for us single corpuscles, not for us dots of animated jelly, but for the one of whom we are the elements, and who, though we perish, never dies, but grows from period to period. And by the united efforts of single molecules called men or those cell groups called nations is raised towards the divine power which he will finally attain our religion therefore is virtue our hope is placed in the happiness of our posterity our faith is the perfectibility of man a day will come when the european god of the nineteenth century will be classed with the gods of olympus and the nile when surplices and sacramental plate will be exhibited in museums, when nurses will relate to children the legends of Christian mythology as they now tell them fairy tales. A day will come when the current belief in property after death, for is not existence property, and the dearest property of all, will be accounted a strange and selfish idea, just as we smile at the savage chief He believes that his gentility will be continued in the world beneath the ground, and that he will be there attended by his concubines and slaves. A day will come when mankind will be as the family of the forest, which lives faithfully within itself according to the golden rule, in order that it might not die. But love, not fear, will unite the human race. THE WORLD WILL BECOME A HEAVENLY COMMUNE TO WHICH MEN WILL BRING THE INMOST TREASURES OF THEIR HEARTS, in WHICH THEY WILL RESERVE FOR THEMSELVES, NOT EVEN A HOPE, NOT EVEN THE SHADOW OF A JOY, BUT WILL GIVE UP ALL FOR ALL MANKIND. WITH ONE FAITH, WITH ONE DESIRE, THEY WILL LABOR TOGETHER IN THE SACRED CAUSE, THE EXTINCTION OF DISEASE, THE EXTINCTION OF SIN, THE PERFECTION OF GENIUS, THE PERFECTION OF LOVE, THE INVENTION OF IMMORTALITY the exploration of the infinite and the conquest of creation you blessed ones who shall inherit that future age of which we can only dream you pure and radiant beings who shall succeed us on the earth when you turn back your eyes on us poor savages grubbing in the ground for our daily bread eating flesh and blood dwelling in vile bodies which degrade us every day to a level with the beasts tortured by pains and by animal propensities buried in gloomy superstitions ignorant of nature which yet holds us in her bonds when you read of us in books when you think of what we are and compare us with yourselves remember that it is to us you owe the foundation of your happiness and grandeur to us who now in our libraries and laboratories and star towers and dissecting rooms and workshops are preparing the materials of the human growth and as for ourselves if we are sometimes inclined to regret that our lot is cast in these unhappy days let us remember how much more fortunate we are than those who lived before us a few centuries ago the working man enjoys more luxuries today than did the king of england in the anglo-saxon times And at his command are intellectual delights which but a little while ago the most learned in the land could not obtain all this we owe to the labors of other men let us therefore remember them with gratitude let us follow their glorious example by adding something new to the knowledge of mankind let us pay to the future the debt which we owe to the past all men indeed cannot be poets inventors or philanthropists. But all men can join in that gigantic and godlike work, the progress of creation. Whoever improves his own nature improves the universe of which he is part. He who sus- He who strives to subdue his evil passions, vile remnants of the old four-footed life, and who cultivates the social affections, he who endeavours to better his condition and to make his children wiser and happier than himself, Whatever may be his motives, he will not have lived in vain. But if he act thus, not from mere prudence, not in the vain hope of being rewarded in another world, but from a pure sense of duty, as a citizen of nature, as a patriot of the planet on which he dwells, then our philosophy, which once appeared to him so cold and cheerless, will become a religion of the heart, and will elevate him to the skies. The virtues, which were once for him mere abstract terms, will become endowed with life, and will hover round him like guardian angels, conversing with him in his solitude, consoling him in his afflictions, teaching him how to live and how to die. But this condition is not to be easily attained, as the saints and prophets were often forced to practice long vigils and fastings and prayers before their ecstasies would fall upon them, in their visions would appear so, virtue in its purest and most exalted form can only be acquired by means of severe and long continued culture of the mind. People with feeble and untrained intellects may live according to their conscience, but the conscience itself will be defective. To cultivate the intellect is therefore a religious duty, and when this truth is fairly recognized by men the religion, which teaches that the intellect should be distrusted, and that it should be subservient to faith, will inevitably fall. We have written much about inventions and discoveries and transformations of human nature which cannot possibly take place for ages yet to come, because we think it good that the bright, though distant future, should be ever present in the eyes of man. But we shall now consider the existing generation, and we shall point out the work which must be accomplished, and in which all enlightened men should take a part. Christianity must be destroyed. The civilized world has outgrown that religion, and is now in the condition of the Roman Empire in the pagan days. A cold-hearted infidelity above, a sordid superstition below, a school of Plutarchs who endeavor to reconcile the fables of a barbarous people with the facts of science and the lofty conceptions of philosophy a multitude of augurs who sometimes smile when they meet, but who more often feel inclined to sigh, for they are mostly serious and worthy men. Entering the church in their youth, before their minds were formed, they discover too late what it is that they adore, and since they cannot tell the truth and let their wives and children starve, they are forced to lead a life which is a lie. What a state of society is this, in which freethinker is a term of abuse and in which doubt is regarded as a sin men have a bluebeard's chamber in their minds which they dare not open they have a faith which they dare not examine lest they should be forced to cast it from them in contempt worship is a convention churches are bonnet shows places of assignation shabby genteel salons where the parochial at home is given and respectable tradesmen exhibit their daughters in the wooden stalls o wondrous awful and divine religion you elevate our hearts from the cares of common life you transport us into the unseen world you bear us upward to that sublime temple of the skies where dwells the veiled god whom mortal eye can never view whom mortal mind can never comprehend how art thou fallen how art thou degraded but it will only be for a time we are now in the dreary desert which separates two ages of belief a new era is at hand it is incorrect to say theology is not a progressive science the worship of ancestral ghosts the worship of pagan deities the worship of a single god are successive periods of progress in the science of divinity And in the history of that science, as in the history of all others, a curious fact may be observed. Those who overthrow an established system are compelled to attack its founders, and to show that their method was unsound, that their reasoning was fallacious, that their experiments were incomplete. And yet the men who create the revolution are made in the likeness of the men whose doctrines they subvert. The system of Ptolemy was supplanted, By the system of Copernicus Yet Copernicus was a Ptolemy of the 16th century In the same manner We who assail the Christian faith Are the true successors of the early Christians Above whom we are raised by the progress of 1800 years As they preached against gods that were made of stone So we preach against gods that are made of ideas As they were called atheists and blasphemers So are we And is our task more difficult than theirs? We have not, it is true, the same stimulants to offer. We cannot threaten that the world is about to be destroyed. We cannot bribe our converts with a heaven. We cannot make them tremble with a hell. But though our religion appears too pure, too unselfish for mankind, it is not really so, for we live in a noble and enlightened age. At the time of the Romans and the Greeks the Christian faith was the highest to which the common people could attain. A faith such as that of the Stoics and the Sadducees could only be embraced by cultivated minds, and culture was then confined to a chosen few. But now knowledge, freedom, and prosperity are covering the earth. For three centuries past, human virtue has been steadily increasing, and mankind is prepared to receive a higher faith. But in order to build, we must first destroy not only the Syrian superstition must be attacked, but also the belief in a personal God, which engenders a slavish and oriental condition of the mind, and the belief in a posthumous reward, which engenders a selfish and solitary condition of the heart. These beliefs are, therefore, injurious to human nature, they lower its dignity, they arrest its development, they isolate its affections. We shall not deny that many beautiful sentiments are often mingled with the faith in a personal deity, and with the hopes of happiness in a future state. Yet we maintain that, however refined they may appear, they are selfish at the core, and that, if removed, they will be replaced by sentiments of a nobler and a purer kind. They cannot be removed without some disturbance and distress, yet the sorrows thus caused are salutary and sublime. THE SUPREME AND MYSTERIOUS POWER BY WHOM THE UNIVERSE HAS BEEN CREATED, AND BY WHOM IT HAS BEEN APPOINTED TO RUN ITS COURSE UNDER FIXED AND INVARIABLE LAW, THAT AWFUL ONE TO WHOM IT IS PROFANITY TO PRAY, OF WHOM IT IS idle AND IRREVERENT TO ARGUE AND DEBATE, OF WHOM WE SHOULD NEVER PRESUME TO THINK, SAVE WITH HUMILITY AND AWE, THAT UNKNOWN GOD HAS ORDAINED THAT MANKIND SHOULD BE ELEVATED BY MISFORTUNE that happiness should grow out of misery and pain I give to universal history a strange but true title the martyrdom of man in each generation the human race has been tortured that their children might profit by their woes our own prosperity is founded on the agonies of the past is it therefore unjust that we also should suffer for the benefit of those who are to come famine Pestilence and war are no longer essential for the advancement of the human race. But a season of mental anguish is at hand, and through this we must pass, in order that our posterity may rise. The soul must be sacrificed, the hope in immortality must die. A sweet and charming illusion must be taken from the human race, as youth and beauty vanish, never to return. The end. End of section fifty. End of the martyrdom of man by Winwood Reed. Recording by Algie Pug.